Hey everyone, and welcome to another podcast on life's toughest questions. And in this pod, we're looking at work. Why should I work so hard? Solomon asked this question actually four times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says there's two extreme responses to this question. And the first response is to be a work avoider, the lazy person. This is the person who doesn't want to do anything. Reminds me of the song, I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drum all day. Anyway, so it's the lazy person. Ecclesiastes 4 or 5 says the fool won't work. Notice the word won't. It's not can't. He's unwilling. Okay? it's He won't work. Not he can't work. And he almost starves, but it feels it's better to be lazy and barely get by than to work hard. Now, the other extreme is to be an overworker or a workaholic. That's a guy who won't stop working. He doesn't know how to stop. He, he's like the Energizer Bunny. He keeps going and going and going. That's all he ever talks about. It's his whole life. Verse 8 says, Here's a man who's always working, never satisfied with the wealth he has. For whom is he working so hard and denying himself any pleasure? This is useless and a miserable way to live. Both of these aren't the right answers when it comes to working hard. Now, which of these two extremes do you find yourself leaning towards? Do you tend to be an overworker or an underworker? Do you tend to do more than expected, more than you need to do, or do you tend to get by doing as little as possible? Regardless of which end of the spectrum you're at, Solomon has something to say. And in Ecclesiastes, he talks about both. And so we're going to look at both of these because both of these are typically how we respond to the idea of working hard. We either hate it or we embrace it. And pretty much both extremes have problems. So first, we're going to look at the lazy, the underworker, and we're going to look at how to be more successful at work. And Solomon was the most successful person who ever lived. He achieved everything he ever wanted. He had more wealth than anyone ever had. And so when he talks about success, we're not talking about someone who is just a fluke or if he inherited it. No, 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 no. He worked at it. And he gives us six characteristics to be successful at work. Six ways that we need to work. The first one. We need to work enthusiastically. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, Whatever your hands finds to do, do it with all your might. Put your heart into it. Give it your best effort. Whether the job is big or little, do it with a positive attitude. Work enthusiastically. That's the first characteristic. Second one, you got to work with integrity. Ecclesiastes 7 1 says, A good reputation is better than expensive perfume. It's better to be good tend to look good or smell good. See, the perfume will wear off, but the reputation lasts forever. See, real success is a matter of character. What does make a top worker? I read a story where they took hundreds of sales of a sales force from over 10 companies and they compared them to each other and to see why did some people succeed and some people didn't? Why did some people stand out? And they concluded that there was no difference in skill, ability, intellect, technical understanding or knowledge between the top performing salespeople and average salespeople due to the rigorous hiring procedures. The difference they found was the top performers had a reputation for integrity. 
The customers trusted them, and as a result, they made more sales. I remember when I was 18, I made a terrible mistake, and I took the shady job of selling meat door-to-door from the back of a refrigerated truck. Yep, and I followed two guys who were working there for a few years each. One was extremely successful, and the other, I don't know how he made any money, but he seemed to be doing okay. And the difference between the two was one of the, they had different philosophies. And the first one was to be upfront with the customer at all times and tell them what's going on and be truthful. And it actually cost him a couple sales that day, but he told me in the long run, it's worth it. The other guy I went with, we tried to con every single sale that we had. We lied. We can, he did everything possible to get people to buy the stuff in his truck. And when I got done, you know, I looked at the total sales for both of them and I was actually surprised the first guy, even though he told everyone the truth, he came out ahead. And I was shocked because I really thought that the guy who lied and cheated and and did whatever it took to make a sale would come out ahead, but he didn't. People appreciated the honesty and integrity. Now, On the next day when I was supposed to, on the third day, I went out there and I couldn't do a thing. It was awful. And I went in that day and I just left the truck and I quit. I could not do it. And the whole concept just kind of skeeved me out. Selling meat out of the back of your truck is just, uh, it wasn't for me. I couldn't work with integrity. Third characteristic of work, work skillfully. Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. So you got to sharpen your skills. You got to sharpen your axe. You got to work smarter, not harder. You got to always improve, always grow, always develop. Years ago, we had our roof redone and I remember watching them put it on and they got here at the crack of dawn. And I saw them out there and I was kind of worried about how they're going to do the roof because the last time... I was in a house and I I paid for the roof. There was nails everywhere and I was always worried and I kept finding nails and stuff after the job was done. So I wanted to watch these guys and see how they did it. So they got here before it was light at around six o'clock in the morning and then they started to get ready and they prepared themselves and man, each of them were so amazingly skillful. They all like got to work and they had this assembly line where one guy like moved the the stuff that they where all the tiles come off of the bridge off of the roof and on into the thing and that was his job and then the other two guys were ripping off tiles and then another guy came behind them and pushed the tiles down to the big container and i watched this and it was amazing it was like an assembly line roof and within 45 minutes to an hour they had stripped all of the roofing tiles off of my roof And I was just shocked at how amazingly skillful they were. And then I went inside. I was doing some work. I came out at two. I looked around and they were all done. I was like, they're all done? And he was like, yeah, we're just putting the finishing touches on now. What do you think? And I went around. I looked. It was amazing. Then later on, when they cleaned up, I went around and I tried to find some nails like I did the last time. I looked everywhere. I couldn't find one nail. In fact, it's been several years since then. I still have not found one nail in my yard from the roofing company. And it was amazing to me how skillful they were. They were fast. They were skillful. And I would hire them again in a second. They were amazing 
work skillfully. Fourth characteristic of work, work efficiently. Economize your time and energy. You got to work strategically. Ecclesiastes 8, 6 says there's a right time and a right way to do everything. See, achievers manage their time. Time is far more important than money. You need to set some goals and priorities. You got to work. Don't do the urgent thing. Do the appropriate thing. You can't get bogged down in that tyranny of the urgent. It's important to be effective if you if you're going to be successful. Successful. This week I had so much going on. I didn't know when I could write this talk. So I actually started to write this part. I was currently in my car writing this on my laptop while waiting for my daughter to finish cheer because I had two hours and it was the perfect amount of time to write and put a big dent into this talk. And it was a great way to work efficiently and maximize my time. In fact, I have another chair practice where I have another two hours where I'm going to finish the talk. And that's where I'm going to spend a lot of the time. That Those four hours are essential because it's quiet. I'm focused and I can do it. Economize your time and energy. You got to work strategically. There's a right time and a right way to do everything Ecclesiastes says. Number five, work cooperatively. If you're going to succeed, whatever you choose, you must do it with others. You can't do it all by yourself. Build a team. Involve other people. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 10 said two are better off than one because together they can work more effectively. If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. We all need support over the long haul. Think about it. Even when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out in twos because success is never a one-man show. We need two people to make it through. We need to be a part of a team. That's how and are successful. And number six, work persistently. Ecclesiastes 11.6 says, keep on sowing your seed for you never know which will grow. Perhaps it all will. I think about it as you're a farmer. I mean, they throw so much down. They don't know what's going to grow. They have to throw it. You got to be persistent. There's a myth that says that successful people never fail. Oh, that is so not true. Successful people fail all the time. In fact, they fail more than anybody else. They just don't quit. They don't give up. They learn from it. The way to become successful is through failure. Here's some facts about failure from an athletics point of view. I looked this up. The best basketball player in the NBA makes a little less than half of their shots. The most accurate shooter currently right now in the NBA is shooting at 50.7%. That's it. The best quarterbacks in the NFL complete only 7 out of 10 passes. That's it. The best baseball player of all time with his best season ever only averaged .408, which means 4 out of every time he got a hit. Every every at-bats he got a hit. If at first you don't succeed, welcome to the human race. It's good that you're a part of it because you failed. Don't take failure so seriously. Realize that You need failure on the road to success. You got to work persistently. Never quit. Never give up. This list is essential if you're an underworker, whether it's working together with someone, working persistently, or maybe working efficiently or with skill or with integrity or with enthusiasm. If you struggle with being lazy, put those concepts to work. And believe it or not, you will make it 
and you'll change from being a lazy or an underworker or someone who just wants to get by to being very successful. Now, I've come to notice that most people tend to overwork. So I wrote, have a little acrostic for you, and it's relax. <laughs> so let's start with the first letter, R. First, you got to do is readjust your values. These are for the overworkers now. Solomon gets right to the point. He says, here's the real reason people work. Because they envy the things their neighbors have. Solomon exposes the real motives behind workaholism. It's not a desire for excellence. It's not even a matter of enjoyment. No, those are fake reasons. It's out of envy to beat down the competition, to be number one, to prove you're better than everybody else. For a lot of people, that's their goal in life. Beat everybody else. Get ahead no matter what the cost. It's a matter of coveting, of envy. This is the person who never takes a vacation. He's afraid that one week they're gone, competition will get ahead. He's driven by insecurity to be number one, regardless of the costs. And the costs are enormous for someone who's a workaholic. There are divorce, alcohol abuse, heart attacks, other illnesses, fragmented, fractured relationships, unhappiness, loneliness. And you know what's sad? Is we reward this type of behavior. Solomon says if you're going to learn to break the grip of workaholism, you need to readjust your values. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his own soul? Or what man or what can a man gain in exchange for his soul? Jesus says you got to stop and think, why am I doing this? Why am I beating myself into the ground? Why am I working so hard? Why am I working so many hours? Before you climb the next rung on the ladder of success, ask yourself these questions. Number one, why am I working so hard? Do a motive check. What drives me to do this? Am I trying to prove somebody to somebody that I shouldn't even care about trying to prove to? Is it greed? Is it envy? Is it fear? Is it insecurity? Second, is the payoff worth it? Why do I keep fighting to get to the next level? What can I realistically expect from that level? Is it worth sacrificing my life for it? And in most cases, it's not. Third, why do I think it'll satisfy me? If I'm not satisfied now with the work that I have, will the next level satisfy me? Ask the person who's already there. See if they are perfectly satisfied or if they are trying to get to the level beyond where they currently are. See, your life is too important to waste on secondhand clauses. Readjust your values. Ecclesiastes 5.15 says, In spite of all our hard work, there is nothing we can take with us. All you acquire, you're going to leave behind. If you're doing it for your kids, ask your kids if they'd rather have your possessions or you, your time. Of course they'd rather have you. They want you to spend time with them. Now, as they get older, they might say, no, I don't care about you. I just want the possessions. <laughs> but that's just being a teenager. Readjust your values. Why am I killing myself to get more and more ahead? And I'm not even enjoying what I currently have. Now, my wife and I did this when we first found out when she was pregnant with our first child. And you know what the end result came to be? I ended up leaving my full-time pastor of a church position to raise the kids myself at home. I didn't want the kids to go through what I went through. 16 years later, it was definitely one of the best decisions my wife and I ever made. 
even though many couldn't understand it when we did it. In fact, the only ones who did were ones who wished they could go back in time and repair relationship with their kids. When I told one of the ruling elders that I was going to do it, he had tears in his eyes. And he goes, I understand. And he goes, I wish I had the guts to make that decision when I was younger. Readjust your values. Next letter is E. Enjoy my rewards. I need to learn to enjoy what I've already worked for. Ecclesiastes 3.13 says, all of us should eat and drink and enjoy what we've worked for. It's God's gift. See, most of us who are overworkers never tend to slow down long enough to enjoy what you have. We're too busy envying and trying to get to the next level. Solomon says, stop and smell the roses. Enjoy life's simple pleasures. See, we make the mistake of postponing enjoyment. And one of these days, I'm really going to start enjoying life. When I retire, then I'll do it. No, you won't. If you don't enjoy life now, when you retire, it's going to be the same. You're not going to know how to spend your free time. I can't help but think of my in-laws when it comes to this. They scrimped and saved their whole life. They did an amazing job of saving and taking care of their finances. But they put off fixing things and upgrading their kitchen and bathroom for years. They wanted to make sure they had enough money. And that's a good good thing. But I think they could have probably done it years before. And I don't think they really enjoyed their fruits of their labor until my father-in-law ended up retiring early. And when that happened, everything changed. They redid their kitchen. They redid their master, their bathroom. They went on cruises more. They spent time on vacation. They go out to eat more. They're enjoying life. They came over and played with the grandkids. It's very important to save. But don't wait till it's too late to enjoy it. There's a nice balance here. And overworkers usually fall into save it all and not spend it. The underworkers tend to spend it all. But since we're talking about the workaholics now, I'm telling you, you need to spend it. If I was talking to the underworkers, I'd tell you, you need to save it. So it depends on where you are. There's a nice balance that we have to fall into. And the reality is we have to realize that and enjoy what God has given us. Enjoy your rewards. L, limit my labor. If I'm going to break this grip of workaholism or working too much that society tends to reward, you need to limit how much you work. This must be an intentional decision, intentional commitment. You got to figure out realistically how many hours you should work and then keep yourself, hold yourself to that schedule, no matter what job you have. And you don't work longer than that. You force yourself to be realistic. It's the only way to break the bad habit of overworking. I remember when I was being interviewed for a pastor position and they asked me about work-life balance. And I told them I wouldn't work more than 50 hours a week. I explained how pastors are notoriously workaholics at the expense of their family and relationship. I told them to be a good pastor. I can't be a lousy husband. I mean, would you like me to be a lousy husband giving counseling to other lousy husbands? And they said, of course not. And they loved it during the interview until I got hired and I actually put it into practice. <laughs> then they complained I wasn't working enough. That's how things go. Funny, huh? <laughs> how dare you, the pastor, spend time with your family instead of us and doing work. <gasps> but you know what? Pastors are notoriously overworking. In fact, I don't know of a single pastor who did that commitment. I, I'm the only one I know of. Ecclesiastes 10.15 says, only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. That is a great paraphrase. Blunt too. 
All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. We need balance, moderation. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time to work and a time to play. You need them both. Don't wear yourself out at work. Exodus 20 even gives us a command. You have six days in which you do work, but the seventh day is to be a day of rest dedicated to me, God. That's obvious. Every seventh day, you got to take a day off. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. He put it in the Ten Commandments. That's how important it is. That's how important rest is. And when you don't do it, it's called sin. That's how important it is. You weren't made to be constantly working. Your best requires rest. And don't use your day off to catch up on other work, like work around the house that you couldn't get done. No, you need to limit your labor so that that's a rest day and not a catch up from work day. If you don't schedule time for rest, you're, it's going to be pushed away. Next letter, A, anticipate God's care. Trust God. The root of a lot of workaholism is worried. Matthew 6, 31, 32, don't worry, saying that you, what shall we eat or drink or wear? Pagans run after these things. Your heavenly father knows you need them. God needs you to know you need these things. He'll take care of you. The rat race that we run through, this frantic drive to always get more, it's, a lot of it is rooted in worry that we won't have enough. So we got to keep going until our pile gets so big, then we'll be secure. But the problem is, no matter how big your pile gets, it'll never be big enough because there can always be a catastrophe that takes away your, your finances. You have to put your security in something that can't be taken away from you. you got to trust God's care, anticipate his care. And that is something that cannot be taken away from you. So you got to relax and quit playing God. You're not in control. And then the last letter, X, exchange my pressure for God's peace. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, come to me, you are tired from carrying your heavy loads and I will give you rest. The yoke I'll give you is easy and the load I'll put on you is light. God says Jesus came to give you a lifestyle that's easy and light. And if you're carrying a load that's not easy and light, you're doing something out of God's will. Because God wants you to loosen you up. He says, I'm going to give you rest. God sent his son to die on a cross to give us life, to forgive us of all of our sins if we just ask him. He doesn't stop there, but adopts us into his family where we can call him dad. Stop struggling with living your life without God and turn him to him. Receive his peace. Right now I'm doing this 40-day challenge of walking 10 miles every day for 40 days. And through sheer willpower and determination, I think I can make it easily through 20, maybe 25 days. But you know what's carried me the rest of my way? I have to add on the supporters that I had, but ultimately it's God. Because I've asked him for help and he's been there and giving me strength and peace when I don't feel like I can do it. It's underrated how much God's peace does and it's so hard to explain unless you've experienced it. Because you may be running on emotionally empty gas tanks. Your tank is on empty and you are so stressed out. You're dead tired, but you can't seem to stop. And you've been in this lifestyle. You don't know any other way. It scares you that there may be another way to slow down a bit. You're stressed. You're fatigued. You're exhausted. And God has a word for you. Trust me. Give me your life. Exchange your pressure for my peace. For his burden is light. He'll take care of you. So instead of working too hard, try to relax. R, 
readjust your values. E, enjoy your rewards. L, limit your labor. A, anticipate God's care. And X, exchange pressure for his peace. Trust in him and not in yourself. Because then you can get rid of this cycle of overworking. Well, I hope that will encourage you over this upcoming week. And if you're working too much, stop it. (laughs) Anyway, I'll see you in the next pod.